Good afternoon and welcome to WEHC 90.7, Emory and Henry, and you're tuning in to She Walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock. And we have a special guest today, and we're so glad that you decided to be here. We are talking specifically to women and about leadership. And so we have a special guest with us today, and Carly's going to introduce you to her. And we hope that she'll say something or will say something that will pique your interest and you'll keep listening, but also that you may have some questions or some comments, and we'd love to hear all of that. So thanks for tuning in. Carly? Yeah, so today I'm super excited. We have um, Carly Gaskins with us, so another Carly, which is very exciting. She is the Office for Violence Against Women Campus Program Coordinator. She is also the ENH Cares Program Coordinator, and we'll let her talk a little bit about what that means um, and what services and support she can offer to our students. So we'll just go ahead and let her uh, talk a little bit about that. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me here to join today. I'm so excited to be here, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, so can you tell us just a little bit about like specifically the grant funded position and then the ENH Cares kind of part of it? Yeah, absolutely. So the Campus Grant Program is funded through the Department of Justice and Office of Violence Against Women, um, and they created this Campus Grant Program kind of based out of or off of the Clary Act. So it does work closely with Title IX, but it is also very different. You know, within this position, we are bringing education and prevention techniques and awareness to sexual assault, domestic violence, dating violence, intimate partner violence, and stalking on campus. Um, and though it's funded through Office of Violence Against Women, it's not just women specific. So really educating on those crimes in all of our communities on campus. Um, and that started the ENH Cares program. And, which I think is really super awesome. Within ENH Cares, I work closely with community and campus partners to kind of help build and establish relationships on and off campus to create a well-rounded like 24-7 availability to any students or faculty or staff that were to um, be a survivor or a victim of these sexual assault, domestic dating violence, stalking related crimes on campus and get them the help that they deserve and they need and the support that they deserve and they need. I know you're new, Carly. Have you been able to look at our current statistics? And I'm not asking you to quote any of them, but are we okay with the number of incidents reported with uh, other campuses our size or have you been able to figure that out yet? I know in relation to other campuses, I'm not entirely sure, but I know that in regards to Title IX, uh, we have had an increase for our campus recently. And part of that I can't really blame to, you know, specifically the, the campus or anything around that. I think a lot of it has to do with we had COVID and everyone was stuck inside indoors. They were quarantined and no one was getting out. People, you know, schools weren't meeting in person. And so people weren't out to talk and communicate and really see the warning signs of sexual assault, domestic and dating violence and stalking. And so I feel that once COVID came, there was a really big decrease in the amount of statistics. And now that things are kind of starting to be back in person again, and people are getting back out there and schools back in person, and there has been an increase in statistics. 
and I can't say that that's particularly that the crime in general has increased, but I think that we had such a decline, not in the crime itself, but the awareness of the crimes happening due to COVID and the quarantine and being stuck at home with your abusers. And now we do have an influx, but we do, we have had a significant year for Title IX here at Amory and Henry. I wonder what kind of role that awareness would play in that, because I would think that the more people are aware and the more they know that they can go somewhere is that they're more inclined to go. So I guess in some ways we could look at that like maybe we're doing a decent job and your job of continuing to bring that awareness level to heighten it and to increase it so that people do know that there are places to go and that they don't have to tolerate or take that kind of behavior. They're not even supposed to. So I wonder about that. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into the like education and prevention aspect of my grant. I don't really like the word prevention. I think it's a very patriarchal and prehistoric, the word prevention and the things that people think of when it comes to prevention, like don't drink too much, use the buddy system, walk with keys between your fingers, cover up, what were you wearing? I think that's very prehistoric and very patriarchal in a mindset. Um, so when I think of prevention, I just think of education. And so I want to do a lot of educational, you know, trainings, but like seminars and events and conferences, and where I dive deep into each of these crimes, not just a broad overview of all of them together in one presentation, I kind of have considered doing like a series where I do a segment on solely sexual assault and everything that that encompasses because sexual assault isn't just rape. And so really talking through the details of sexual assault, sexual harassment, talking about consent, talking about coercion, because people it's still not common knowledge. I think that coercion is sexual assault and that spousal rape is a thing and that it exists. And so I really want to dig deep into that. And when I dig deep into like domestic violence, that's not just physical abuse, that's financial abuse, that's social abuse, that's emotional abuse, and then also physical abuse as well. But a lot of people don't understand financial abuse or social abuse and what that looks like. And they don't know that that is a form of domestic violence. And so I really, really want to dive deep into each one of these rather than just saying, here's a broad overview of sexual assault, because I think that in order to have prevention of crimes, people need to be well-educated on crimes because unfortunately some people just don't know, like people don't know that coercion is a crime. And maybe if more people knew that, we could prevent crimes in the future. And I think also educational events and awareness campaigns are really good as well, where you have a visual component. So I've been working with Emily Bishop with DEI on creating a Take Back the Night and a Clothesline Project. And I think the visual aspect of the Clothesline Project, of the creating the shirts and putting them out there as awareness to see not only how many, but the impact that it's had on that person. I think those types of awareness campaigns bring a lot of, even for people that aren't empaths per se, I think it brings a really big empathetic response and thus creates more prevention. So I don't like the word prevention. So I don't want to call anything a prevention education. I just want to do education. And I think that will be a prevention tactic for the campus. I love your perspective on that for sure. Um, I think that's really valuable. 
And I'm really glad that you brought up consent and coercion because Sharon and I have talked a lot on this show about the various forms of consent, what consent is, what it isn't. And we've talked a little bit about coercion. We've talked about like guilt tripping and like all of these other things that kind of show up and people don't really think about when they think about coercion or, or even that they've given consent, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the more education that we can do around that, the better off we're going to be. So I teach a transitioning to college class. And in that class, we do um, set aside one day to talk about Title IX and also consent and a few boundaries and a few other things like that. Very briefly, because it's only a 15 minute class, but, but it's really good. And, and the amount of like shocked faces that I see is kind of concerning because students just don't know. And so I think all of the educational programming you're talking about is just right on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited to like dig in and do things like that because consent, I feel like is a difficult conversation for some reason to have, you know, people are like, well, that'll ruin the mood. No, if asking for consent is ruining the mood, the mood didn't exist. You've misread it entirely. And so I'm all for having those sorts of conversations, like talking about let's get enthusiastic consent, like an enthusiastic yes is a yes. I don't know. And you continuing to push or guilt trip or whatever, that's coercion. That's not consent. Just because someone eventually gives in does not make it consent. And so, yeah, I want to do a lot of education based around consent and coercion, especially because I do feel like those are two very misunderstood aspects of sexual assault. And I know one thing as well is like sexual harassment, like catcalling and stuff, because that does have, you know, traumatic aspects and psychologically damaging. And so I want to talk about, you know, catcalling and things like that, because, People, I feel like a lot of people see that as harmless and just an annoyance, but it's not. It can have a psychological effect to someone and to really break that down and talk about the effects that it has on the person that's receiving this and how it supports like toxic masculine culture and how it it supports rape culture. Like it's not acceptable. So let's make it unacceptable. I feel like, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, well, mine's a little, is your short or long, Carly? Because mine's a little long. You want to go? I've got a long too. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm, I'll try to make mine short then. <laughs> I belong to a book club and there are seven women and they're from all walks of life and all ethnicity. And some are married, some are single. I don't think we have anybody from the LGBTQ community or anybody out from the LGBTQ community in our, in our but, but it's, it's, it's kind of a diverse book club. And, um, we were reading this book by Diane Chambers, Chamberlain, I believe it was called The Stolen Marriage. And so you have to read whatever they bring. So if somebody brings 50 Shades, we're reading 50 Shades. If somebody <laughs> reads a, uh, brings a health book or a self-help book, we're reading it. You know, I bring academic books about Sojourner Truth. They have to read it. But anyway, so we were reading this book and there's a scene in this Diane Chamberlain book, The Stolen Marriage, where this woman is, she, for all purposes, she's probably drunk, but she's not drunk out of her mind. So she's teeter-tottering to, you know, incapacitation, but not, I wouldn't call it real incapacitation yet because in the story, she's going through her head and she's seeing what all's going on. And so she wants to say no and all this. And so she comes to the scene with this guy and she tells this guy, hey, I'm engaged to somebody else. And he says, yeah, I know. And she says, this is not right. And then she says, she's the world is spinning, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
So they have sex and she gets married. Well, what those seven women you think would know, we could not determine unequivocally, I could, they couldn't, but could not determine if consent was involved or not, or if she was raped. Mm-hmm. And you had, you, these are seven college educated academic mm-hmm. women with real careers in all walks of life could not make the distinction between was consent involved or was she incapacitated or was it rape? So what do we do in cases like that? And I think sometimes for our college students, it's even more difficult to, to make that distinction. No, it absolutely is. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like consent is so complicated and it's so diverse. And it's like even the empowered women, empower women and the women supporting women, we have been taught from a young age, like from the patriarchy and from rape culture that, oh, we drank too much, it's fine. No, if we're even remotely incapacitated, we can't make the knowledgeable decision to consent to any sexual act with someone else. And so I think really just digging deep and breaking down on that awareness and fighting the so, like the societal norms that we have been taught as young girls and young boys, that that is what consent is. We need to fight those standards and those norms because if we as women don't know what consent is, even among us, we continue and then spread that education to men in order to break down that societal norm. But then also, we need to also acknowledge, though, that it's not always men assaulting women. Sometimes there are women that assault men, or there's women on women, men on men. And breaking down those consent boundaries and those stigmas, because that has so much stigma behind it. There's so much stigma as same-sex on same-sex crime is, was that really assault? Because it's such a, in this day and age, it's still such a outside of the norm aspect, even though like the college and the, the, you know, humanity in general is making moves to be more accepting towards relationships such as that, but it's still so misunderstood. And it's the same as sexual assault. You know, a few years ago, Tennessee passed the legislation that it doesn't have to be penis and vagina is rape. It's, it can be digits. It can be whatever it is. That is rape. If it is unconsensual sexual acts, that is rape. And I think even that for a lot of people, a lot of people have a hard time grasping that. And so I really want to dig deep and have those difficult conversations of any non-consensual like sexual act like that. It doesn't matter that if it's penis and vagina or vagina and vagina, it doesn't matter. Like you need consent. And what does that look like? And what is incapacitation do with that. Because if you are incapacitated, you can't make the well-rounded, knowledgeable decisions. And so I think really fighting back against the societal norms and standards that we've been taught as children until our adult age is how we address those. Yeah, because they were really stuck on the whole, what we would be talking about, incapacitation. Because in the story, the woman had been drinking, the man had been drinking, she was going back and forth in her head. It sounded like she was lucid, and then it sounded like she might not be lucid. So Mm -hmm. she was kind of in that in-between state, 
And I think that's something that we don't always talk about because they try to make it like it's an either or, and there is that in between and people need to understand and know the cues and to, and to respond. If someone is in between, someone is incapacitated. <laughs> yes. Well, you and know. another big factor of consent is it can be revoked at any time. Yes. And if yes. I have said yes at some point and we are engaging in some sort of sexual act and I'm no longer comfortable, I have the full bodily autonomy right to take that consent away. And I think that's another really big consent conversation to be had is it can be taken away. And also, I think there's also a big misunderstanding that if consent is given once, it's given every time. And I think that's a really big misconception for spousal rape or relationship rape in general, is a lot of people don't know that that is a thing. And I think that has a lot to do with just because consent was given once, it's given every time. That's incorrect. Incorrect. And I think that's another societal norm and standard that we have to challenge and bring awareness to. That's one thing that we do cover in our class when we talk about consent is that it can be revoked at any time, that agreeing to one thing one time doesn't mean that it's every time. And I feel like that's one of the ones that seems to really kind of make everybody's eyes kind of widen a little. Because when you think about like, oh, I'm now in a relationship with this person. They're now my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my partner. Then it's kind of anything's fair game, which is Mm -hmm. obviously not correct, but it can kind of feel like, wait a minute, why is that not okay? Right. And, and, you know, when the, um, Brett Kavanaugh stuff was in the news. A lot of people were talking. It kind of brought up a conversation, even though it was a completely different situation. People were having a lot of conversations around marital rape and the idea that, you know, there were still people who thought that that wasn't a thing, that that couldn't happen. And I just think there there needs to be so much more education around that. I agree. And I'm glad that you are having those educational conversations because it is so important. It is so important. Not enough people really fully grasp consent and thank goodness it's much more of a thing these days for lack of better words like it's getting more out there and people are talking about it more and and thank goodness because it needs to be talked about if we're going to change anything we need to start small and we need to build up from there you know big change happens in small steps and that's challenging societal norms and talking about those things that may be uncomfy and bringing awareness to marital and spousal rape that consent can be taken away that incapacitated consent is not consent coercion is not consent and also breaking down in relationships not only can consent be taken away but if you are exploring in your sexual relationship that you need consent for those new sexual actions like you can't just assume that this person because they are in your relationship they're gonna say yes and be on board and excited for something new that you want to try you need to explain it and get consent for that as well and I think that's also a really big misunderstanding in uh, relationships yeah because I've talked to people before and in relationships with new acts people have participated and they really fully regretted it and didn't want to do it. and some people just break up without navigating without talking about it, without calling it what it was. And obviously they didn't have the conversation beforehand Mm -hmm. is how it ended up getting there. You know, so there was no, no discussion about what I like and what you like, what I don't like. And you know, what's off the table for me, what's on the table, you know, none of that was really happening. And so I think a mature level 
you know, in sexuality is really, I think that would be helpful if people can learn maturity, sexual maturity in their, what they're trying to do. We won't, we wouldn't get to as many of these. And, and some of it is just about power. Some people just won't listen. And some people, you know, are going to act, they're going to try to coerce you into doing whatever it is that they want you to do, when they want you to do, how they want you to do. And, you know, we're talking from the perspective of, you know, rape and, and all the other things that, that go on. But Carly, what, what would you say to our, you know, young students that are coming on campus, male, female, but they're coming on campus, they're away from home for the first time, they're in situations and circumstances where they don't have to go home and they find themselves in some type of potential sexual exchange, what are some words or some ways without the prevention kind of piece? Because I get that from a patriarchal perspective because that rests upon women to act a certain way, not for men to act a certain way. We're happening both ways and I'd say, okay, prevention is good, but it's not. It's all on the woman to act a certain way to prevent this poor man from being so excited to where he can't contain himself. And then he just has to relieve himself and do something about it. But I got off the subject, but what would you tell new students or <laughs> coming in, you know, how, how can they navigate? I mean, what language can they use in cultivating sexual relationships? What language could they use? What, what pointers could you give them? I think in navigating sexual relationships, one, and this is slightly off topic to that, but I want to do a lot of conversations about safe sex and like sex positive aspects and beliefs, um, because I think sex is a normal thing these days and we need to talk about it and be comfortable talking about it. And within having a sex positive campus in which people feel that they can express, we can then have those safe conversations about our sexual preferences and what they are are not. But I think in what I would suggest is being comfortable in yourself and knowing what you like, knowing what you don't like and feeling that that's okay. Whatever your preference is or is not, know that it's okay and it's acceptable to have those preferences or not have those preferences and feeling okay to share that. Um, and I think this is where the sex positive piece that I kind of bounced off to came from is a lot of people still are uncomfortable talking about sex, but sex is a part of everyday life for so many people. And it's important to talk about and to know that it's okay to talk about. Again, I think that stems from the patriarchy and women being sex positive means that they are slutty in quotations or whatever, but to know your interests sexually and be confident in that own it like if that's what you want that's what you like go for it if that's not what you like don't go for it and to be able to share that so if someone comes to you and makes you feel uncomfortable saying I'm not comfortable with this I need you to take a step back and then you know having a good support system as well and that's for everybody on campus to have a good support system because things are so hard in general these days, but especially if you're facing like these types of situations, a support system is so, so important in recovering from that. Having a good support system, knowing what you like and you don't like, being able to set boundaries and say, I'm not comfortable with this. Let's not move forward with this. One thing I do want to do, but I don't think that this is a mandatory thing or something that should be pushed, 
But one thing I do want to do is I know a few community resources that offer RAD, which is rape aggression defense, self-defense classes for women. I would like to let our students know when those are being held so that they could, you know, register and attend those if they would like. I've gone through two of them myself. I fully support it. And I will say as a survivor of two sexual assaults myself, like that's made me feel so much more confident in my own body and my own autonomy to have those set, like self-defense tactics, but not only the self-defense aspect, but it teaches you to speak up for yourself. I found it so empowering because the biggest aspect that they promote in RAD is to use your voice. And so saying no, saying, I don't like this, you know, and I can't recommend this for all situations and all scenarios, but I like to call people out when they make me uncomfy, but you have to also gauge like your safety if you were to do so. I know that I myself in situations that I've been catcalled, I will say what over and over <laughs> as if I didn't hear them until they start to get uncomfortable and feel embarrassed that they said it in the first place. But you also have to like gauge your safety in those situations, right? Because it's not always safe to do so. But really just finding and using your voice is what I would give the most emphasis on is that we are amazing, empowered women, and we have the right to bodily autonomy and to make our own decisions. And so finding that comfort with using your voice, whether that's saying no, saying what specific, specifically you don't like, or I mean, even if it's just ignoring them and walking away. Um, but I think your voice is the main thing that I would use. Well, you absolutely read my mind talking a little bit about some of the community resources that are available. So two things to kind of end us out today. One, you are a confidential reporter. Is that correct? Yes, I am. So that's good for our students to know. But let's tell our, let's tell our people at home real quick what that means. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Carly. <laughs> yes, so for Title IX with the Clary Act, people on campus, most of them are required to be mandated reporters. So that means that if a student were to come to them and say that they were um, sexually assaulted or stalked or in an abusive relationship, et cetera, they would need, they have to go directly to the Dean of Students or to Title IX and they have to report that. A confidential reporter like myself, a student can come to me and tell me that this has happened and I don't have to tell Title IX. I do have to tell Title IX, however, that a crime occurred, what the crime was, and the location, because we have to make sure that we are keeping our annual Clary Act reports accurate, um, that is required by law. However, I don't have to tell them their name. So if a student does not want to go through the Title IX processes, whether that's they just don't want to, they're not comfortable with it, they feel that it would make them unsafe, they can come to me and tell me and I will find them community resources and work with them confidentially to help make them feel safe and to get whatever services or support that they need from me. And they don't have to make it public knowledge, for lack of better words. It's not that Title IX is public knowledge, but that's just what my mind is going to. But they don't have to go through the Title IX processes, the hearing board, talking with multiple people on campus. Awesome. Yeah. And the other second part to that was just 
what are you know some of the resources available not just to students but kind of just in the community maybe like just a couple off the top of your head that you want to highlight yeah sure so abuse alternatives is a great resource um they have a domestic violence shelter and a 24 7 hotline so they can provide safe shelter crisis support partners for stronger communities was previously Bristol Crisis Center. They also have a 24-7 crisis hotline and they also provide 24-7 victim advocacy. So if someone was assaulted, they can call this hotline or someone could call the hotline for them and get an advocate that would accompany them to the hospital and possibly work with them ongoing. And I know that our students technically are here in Emory, Virginia. Most of them live on campus, but if they are from a Tennessee residence, they could also use YW Cares, which is another victim advocacy program. I can't speak highly enough. I used to work for that program, so maybe I'm a little biased, but I love that program. They also have a 24-7 hotline and provide ongoing services for 17 to 24-year-olds. Um, they'll go respond out to hospitals, police stations, college campuses, etc. Highlands Community Services has a 24-7 crisis mental health hotline, so that's a really good one. Those are the four that are coming to mind right now. That's perfect. That's amazing. <laughs> well, um, we are out of time. Of course, we always wish we had more time, but, um, <laughs> but this was an incredible conversation, super educational. I am so glad you were able to, to drop some resources for us and for our listeners. So um, we will wrap it up today, but we will definitely have Carly back on to talk more about this in the future. So thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Carly, for being here. And as always, my fabulous co-host, Sharon. Thank you all. So Yay. Thank you. This is the first time Carly and I often talk about we're like those guys on NPR with two cars. But today we had two Carlys. 